From Impact Alpha, this is a special episode of Returns on Investment, a show about investors who optimize for social and environmental impact alongside financial returns. I'm Brian Walsh, head of impact for the fintech company LiquidNet. The municipal market is a perfect and is the original impact market from my perspective. That's Eric Glass, head of fixed income impact strategies at Alliance Bernstein. Today on the show, Impact Alpha editor and CEO David Bank talks with Eric about how seemingly boring and old-fashioned municipal bonds are getting a makeover as innovative impact investments. Let's jump right into their conversation. Hi, Eric. How are you, David? I'm great. Thanks for joining us. That's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. This is a topic that I've been eager to dig into for a while, and it's municipal bonds. Uh, and I'm very uh, keen to have you help us understand the sort of impact potential of municipal bonds. But I wanted to start with you know who you are and, what, and who Alliance Bernstein is. So uh, let's start with, with Alliance Bernstein so people know who we're talking to. So you, you have financial advisors help folks manage their their wealth and, and, and also institutions? Yeah. I mean, so we're a global asset management firm. We have about half a, a little over half a trillion dollars of assets under management. And, you know, that's across the board of all uh, possible uh, investments one can make on the equity, on the fixed income, on um, whatever whatever you can think about trading is, is stuff that we do and, and things that can go into to, to portfolios uh, is what we manage. So, you know, alternatives, uh, fund to funds, et cetera, et cetera. And you're a portfolio manager means you have a portfolio that your advisors, Alliance Bernstein advisors can can offer and suggest to their clients. Exactly. So of that half a trillion dollars in assets under management, the Muni Group that I work under or, or in has about $42 billion uh, of assets under management. And we are a small but uh, uh, exponentially growing aspect of that business. Gotcha. Okay. Let, now let's get to you. So, how did you, Eric Glass, become to be uh, the fixed income impact um, uh, portfolio manager? Um, who who are you? <laughs> well, uh, you know, I my name's Eric Glass, and I like long, long walks on the beach. And uh, like, no, that's the wrong that's the wrong podcast. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, actually, I think I've had. Uh, an odd or rather circuitous route uh, to where I am today. So I started my quote unquote adult uh, professional life uh, actually uh, helping to run a homeless shelter in East Orange, New Jersey, a place called Isaiah House. And uh, I worked there as the business manager. So I did day-to-day business operations and grant writing. Uh, and unfortunately, or, or fortunately, depending on your perspective, was really a, an incredible highlight of my career. I, I absolutely loved every moment of working there. And unfortunately, uh, just you know, in terms of paying off a lot of student loans and stuff like that, uh, it was going to be difficult to do that on that sort of uh, on that salary. And I, uh, ironically, uh, my mentors, who I, I love to this day, gave me some really bad advice, which was to go to the for-profit world. So, so. I always say I always say there's two kinds of folks find their way to impact investing. There's social folks who uh, see possibilities in finance, and then there's finance folks who you know maybe want to get some purpose or, or get some meaning or or, or, or or even just see it or just see an opportunity and go and seek out the social impact. Yeah, so I guess I come from both of those worlds, right? So I, I've had my uh, foot in both of those worlds. You know, I went to I started uh, I guess my my for profit career at Moody's Investor Service doing. Uh, research um, in, in municipalities. Uh, it was always within the sort of tax-exempt, uh, tax-advantaged uh, group, if you will. And uh, I think I'm one of the few people actually at Alliance Bernstein 
and I say this, I know this sounds incredibly self-interested and, and perhaps uh, arrogant, but um, I'm probably one of the few portfolio managers here who's had distinct careers in like the three silos of asset management. So distinct uh, experience in research, distinct experience in trading, and distinct experience in portfolio management. Uh, and so I think that just allows me to take a, a different perspective on on markets uh, and on you know market conditions and the ability to vet credit in a different way than than perhaps a lot of other uh, um, portfolio managers do. Uh, and so yeah, I mean, it, I spent probably 15 years doing you know the research, the trading, uh, and the portfolio management in standard portfolios, and you know. Basically, what ended up happening is back in 2010, I took a class uh, at the New School for Social Research here in New York City. Uh, I had a wonderful program. Always a da- always a dangerous thing to do. Yeah, no. One of the great things about having a partner who uh, is an academic is free classes. Yay, free classes! Uh, and so I had the the great thrill and, and honor to take a class in social entrepreneurship uh, with Michelle Kahana, who. Uh, previously had been at the Ford Foundation and at Clinton Global Initiatives. And in a side project that I was doing, uh, you know, I sort of came across this idea of impact investing in this triple bottom line where you could, you know, you could do well uh, and do good. And, you know, we can, we can look at things from a financial, environmental and social uh, bottom line. And I know this is going to sound pretty, you know, pretty crazy and, and, and kind of sappy, but, you know, at that moment, I sort of found my God. Uh, and you know, like a Cecil B. DeMille kind of way, the skies opened up, a, a light shone down, and I levitated. <laughs> <laughs> that was your aha moment. The light bulb went off in a big that way. That was my aha moment. And what was really funny about that is, like, I, you know, I, I actually, you know, everyone asked me, so what do you want to be when you grow up? And I used to say a fireman or something like that. And and now I knew I wanted to be an impact investor. The problem was. I couldn't find an opportunity. <laughs> I just couldn't find a job in the industry. It was really very, very difficult. There was much. It was a much different industry in twenty in twenty ten than it is now. Certainly, and uh, you know, and and by the way, uh, I had been you know bugging the people here to you know think about opening up a, a portfolio like the one that we currently have. And to their credit, they said no, because uh, obviously, as you well know, we we hadn't re- really hadn't gotten to that tipping point, right? And where there was some bottoms up. People understood this type of stuff. They wanted to. They wanted to better align their values with the way in which they invest, and they actually sought out uh, these type of products. And you know that bottoms up is really, really important. And that just wasn't there in 2010 and 2011 and 2012. Uh, and it wasn't until 2015 where we, uh, the firm uh, Bernstein, lost a, you know, a, a sizable relationship that also happened to be a, a longtime client. Uh, and they wanted to do uh, impact investing, and we did not have that on their platform, and they decided to leave. Now, and that that caught somebody's attention. You know, I don't like to say yes. It actually got somebody's attention, I, and I think you know, I, I sort of joke about this, but I, I really truly believe that most things happen in the financial markets or in capital markets because someone lost money, right? Or they just you know, whether it's losing money meaning on a trade, or they lost money meaning they lost a relationship. Uh, you know, why did we, you know, you're going to do a, you're going to try to review why uh, certain things happened. Why did you lose that client? Well, they wanted to do impact investing and we didn't have that. We just didn't have that offering. So maybe we should have that offering. Um, And so there went, you know, the powers that be that came to me and said, you know, hey, 
we know that you've been bugging, you know, effectively you've been bugging crap out of us for the last several years about this thing. Do you have a proposal? So, you know, you said, I just happen to have one in my drawer exactly. here. And I just, you know, and, and here you go. That, that, sound, <laughs> that, that sound of a, a proposal hitting the table. Uh, it was there and, you know, they, they read over it. They thought it had some, you know, sort of legs, if you will, some commercial viability. And then we just started going out to our private client uh, financial advisors to gauge potential interest. And so from there, you know, again, and again, this was municipal bonds because that's what you you yeah, know, it, and you it, had some some insight into how that could your knowledge on, on that market could be applied to, on, with an impact lens. Exactly. I mean, if you think about what impact is, I mean, you think about the sectors that you know what what do municipalities do? Right? They borrow money, and what do they do with that money? They build things, whether that's roads, that's bridges, that's schools, it's hospitals, it's wastewater treatment plants, it's solar arrays, it's wind farms. You know, these are public goods. And, you know, when you think about what's what's the best allocation of those public goods, that's that's the responsibility of municipalities. And, and you know, for us, you know, it, it just seemed like a perfect the municipal market is a perfect and is the original impact market from my perspective. Right. It's you know, you're doing things that are all related to public goods uh, and it's easily trackable. Right. And there's data points that that and, and key performance indicators that you can track over time to actually determine and see the impact that you're making. Uh, and so the muni market just really t- it completely aligns with this this concept of impact and also, the, by the way, the intentionality of impact. Right. So the whole idea for us, we invest in underserved uh, and historically marginalized communities. That's what we do. That That's our goal. Uh, you know, and, and every one of our investments has a specific intention. Right. So when we're investing in schools. We want to ultimately reduce the achievement gap that exists between those schools that have and those schools that have not. When we invest in healthcare institutions, right, we're trying to ultimately reduce the death gap or the difference in life expectancy between, you know, wealthy zip codes and poor zip codes. So one of the things that's really sort of shocking is that in, in many of the urban uh, districts or, or, or cities that throughout the United States, there's a really big gap between life expectancy and communities that are just, you know, miles apart. Uh, and it's really quite frightening. So, for example, in Boston, there's Back Bay, Beacon Hill, and Roxbury. Those two communities are really about two miles apart. And yet the life expectancy for someone who lives in Back Bay is 92 and the life expectancy of someone in Roxbury is 59. There's a 33-year death gap. And so for us, that's a, as investors, as impact investors, that's abhorrent. That's repulsive, right? We, we most definitely want to create access uh, uh, to uh, high-quality health care and we want to invest in institutions that are actually going into the community and making them healthier by – addressing the social determinants of health and a place like and a place like Boston Medical Center is that perfect institution that is that is doing that uh, currently. Okay, let's dig into that in, in one second, but I just want to size this for the listeners to understand that this is different than venture capital. This is different than private equity. This is even different than like private debt that people are now seeing as a as a viable impact category. This is good old-fashioned municipal bonds, yep. which I think is something like a $3.8 trillion market in the U.S. Precisely. And that investors have as an allocation in their portfolios because it 
it performs a very useful function of just kind of being the solid, probably boring, but solid part of that portfolio that doesn't take a lot of risks. It, exactly. Um, it, it, it's, it, it's, and it's tax advantaged in all kinds of good ways. It's tax advantage. It, it offsets equity risk. It does all those great things in port, you know, in, in sort of uh, in solidifying portfolios. And what's best about it from our perspective is obviously, you know, no one, I don't think anyone really looks at the municipal market and thinks of it, and thinks of it as being exciting or uh, unique, novel, sexy, if you will, right? But when you think about it from an impact perspective, that's exactly what it is. So you've given new life to a boring category. Um, I think we're bringing sexy back to the to, to <laughs> And then again, just sort of level set here, when you talk about an impact lens on, on munis, you're talking about market rate returns, as people would call it, right? You're not talking about people doing this in some kind of concessionary fashion. No, it's it's just market rate returns. So what I, what I like to tell our clients is that by investing in this product, in, in, in our municipal impact product, um, if you don't meet or exceed the benchmark or your peer group, it's not because you decided to do impact investing. It's because I, as a portfolio manager, didn't do my job. Uh, ultimately, I should be fired and you should move on to another manager, right? It, it's, it's not about the way in which you invest. It's the investor, right? So we're in the public markets. The public markets are the ones that, that, that basically dictate the yield, not only to us, but to every other investor that's out there. It's, our, it's up to us to choose where we want to be on the yield curve, how much credit we want to have in our portfolio, right? What's our duration? Uh, that sort of uh, th- those sort of things. All right, well, let's get let's get down to how this actually works because I think you do have a screen that targets historically disadvantaged uh, geographies, neighbor- neighborhoods, or or, or municipalities. Um, right. Does that increase the risk? Decrease the risk? Increase the yield? Decrease the yield? So generally speaking, the way uh, you know the way it works for individuals and the way it works for municipalities. Generally speaking, the wealthier you are, uh, the higher uh, the credit quality you are, and the lower interest rate that uh, someone would charge you to borrow. Uh, and I think that's still, and historically, that still you know that works. Uh, but what we're trying to do is evaluate these municipalities along environmental, social, and governance f- frames. And for us, doing that and doing that well. Uh, is all about helping us to mitigate risk and to identify value. And I think any portfolio manager out there who feels like they have uh, something at their disposal, a tool at their disposal to mitigate risk, and if you can do that effectively, uh, more effectively than your competition, there's absolutely no reason why you shouldn't outperform. Uh, and so, yeah, that's that's how we that's how we basically look at so it. So you mitigate risk of these higher risk, lower socioeconomic uh, issues by doing what so uh, evaluating uh each of you know basically their how well they are delivering uh the service that they are uh intended to deliver so i think what we lose sight of in in municipal finance and finance in general is you know particularly on the fixed income side is hey can they pay this back and Obviously, that's a, a really big factor in, in making investments. Obviously, no one wants to uh, loan out money and, and not get that back. But I think what we've lost sight of is the efficacy of the entity that we're investing in. So are schools actually doing what they say they're doing or what they should be doing? So, for example, uh, sort of a controversial sector out there in our world is the charter school, uh, is the charter school sector. And so one of the things from my perspective is – you know, if you're going to have a charter school within a large traditional public school district, 
you know, that charter school should have better outcomes. They need to justify their existence. And that's going to come through better outcomes than the traditional public school, right? And uh, if you don't have that, why are you there? Like, what is the justification for having you there? Um, and I just think it's, it's, it's something certainly um, to think about. Are you making a broader case, though, that says that municipalities that deliver better social impact improvements, whether that's health or, or education, as you say, or, or, or environmental um, management, that those are lower risk municipalities and therefore better investments? Precisely. And therefore, there's some hidden alpha because you're getting the higher interest from these from these higher so-called higher risk issues, but because you know something about them, they're not actually higher risk, and so you're getting both lower risk and higher returns. Yes, you're mitigating that risk. It's it's just like I mean, think about it on the equity side, right? When we have a company that, and you feel like the company is is well managed uh, and is forward looking and prophylactic about the risks that it faces over the next 12, 24. Uh, and 60 months, you know, five-year time horizon, right? You would consider that to be a better investment than some other organization that doesn't have those uh, th that governance uh, frame uh, in in mind, right? But the market is Why? the market is all knowing, and the market processes all information, no, and so everybody knows these better risks or lower risks. Or you have some special insight. Um, I don't necessarily think I have special insight, but I definitely know that the markets are not incorporating environmental and social risks uh, in their calculations. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind that that is not being properly reflected, and I think it's highly material. And I think uh, if you're not doing that as an asset manager, you are missing out on material risk uh, to your portfolios and to your uh, and to the asset value of your portfolio. What are some of the greatest hits, either on the upside or the downside like what are the what are what are issues that actually deliver high social impact and then what are some that maybe blew up because they didn't actually consider the risk of, of in some way and that um and that, and that... <laughs> oh, yeah, I, mean, I think that there are healthcare institutions like boston you know we talked a little little bit about boston medical center i mean i think boston medical is is is, is like for my for, for me is like the ideal uh, impact investment right they're just they are just uh, so focused on population health management and trying to make the community healthier because they know that when they actually, when, when people in the community actually access the hospital, that's when really bad things happen to your health and to their finances, right? And so it's, you know, population health management, we have to keep people healthier. They have basically in, ingrained that in their DNA. Uh, and again, they're out in the community and they are participating in housing, uh, and transportation, and childcare, and education, uh, and workforce development—all uh, in an effort to improve the quality of uh, of the lives of people in their community. And hopefully, over time, you're going to see that uh, in the life expectancy numbers that you know we sort of quoted earlier. Um, and so, it, it's it's really organizations like that that you just you know you you just you want your portfolio every day of the week and twice on Sundays, right? And, and then I think, we're, and then I think, when you get in trouble, is you know, from a governance perspective, something. I mean, you know, one of the things that we've had uh, a, a bit of a, you know, a hiccup on is, uh, and, and this is horrible, and I don't really like to talk about this too much, is is really like sexual assault and sexual abuse, particularly in schools. So. As an example, um, we were invested in uh, Chicago Public Schools, uh, and um, 
you know, doing some sort of really positive things from an outcomes perspective, graduation rates, all things, you know, things moving in the right direction. Uh, but back in mid 2018, a story broke uh, in the Chicago Tribune uh, entitled Betrayed. And it was a expose on uh, basically 10 years or 10 years plus of sexual assault of, uh, of girls by administrators, teachers, uh, coaches, um, security guards, even students, right? And, and uh, it, it just, you know, just a horrific, horrific story. And, you know, we tried to engage with the district basically on how they're detecting and protecting uh, students. And we just couldn't really engage with them. They weren't willing to sort of talk to us about it and, and, and what were the changes that were being made, et cetera, et cetera. And as an impact portfolio, I just couldn't, we couldn't justify holding it. Uh, and so we ended up selling those bonds. So, so if, you know, if, it, if, it, if others did, you're saying, in, in a sense, sexual violence becomes a material risk to oh, a yeah. bond issuer. Of course. I mean, if you have a, you know, conti- I mean, let, let's think, think about the contingent liabilities uh, from a monetary perspective, right? Lawsuits. And, and I don't necessarily know what type of insurance coverage one has, but, you know, if it's, if it's quite rampant. Uh, you know, you go well beyond insur- what insurance covers, uh, you know, between your deductible uh, and what insurance covers. And, and, and there's, you know, some, some real risk there from a financial perspective. Again, you're sort of using all these frames, uh, environmental, social frames, because they're material. They have a direct impact on your profit and loss statement. And anything that has a direct impact on your profit and loss statement has a direct impact on your ability to pay back your debt. And that's ultimately, obviously, what we care about most, right? So you're spotting unseen risks and you're spotting untapped well, opportunities. I mean, and I think, Yeah, I think I'd like to say that we're spotting, uh, I think, I, I hope we're spotting untapped opportunities. And unfortunately, sometimes we get caught by, you know, not, um, seeing the, um, the threats. So we came across this issue with, uh, CPS, uh, with, uh, Chicago public schools. And, you know, now, unfortunately, as part of our standard inquiry for every institution that is child involved, uh, we have a pretty extensive, uh, list of questions as it relates to the history of sexual abuse in that institution, uh, what basically are they doing now, again, to uh, detect and protect students? Uh, we've only we've actually even signed something called the as a as a portfolio. Uh, we've signed the child safety pledge, uh, and that sort of again sort of requires us to do uh, a deeper dive uh, and more due diligence uh, when it comes to the protection of students from. Uh, a, a sexual perspective, uh, and one of the things that we're really concerned about, outside of that, uh, you know, outside of the the sex abuse rubric, is also just environmentally. You know, we're hearing more and more about uh, schools leaching lead uh, in the water fountains and mold, and that's something that you know just should not happen in our schools. In, in our in our schools, and, and kids should not be subjected to this. And it's really really important that we protect them. Uh, from things that they can't protect themselves from. Just give us a, a glimpse of the future as these as these kinds of ideas become more mainstream. I mean, what does this mean for the sort of supply of of capital to the to the good stuff and, and possibly, as you say, you know, um, um, raising the costs or or, or 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 creating disincentives for the for the for the for the bad ones. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, with any market, it's technically driven, right? There's a supply and demand dynamic. I think what's really interesting from a municipal perspective is that you know, when we think about climate change, when we think about 
uh, environmental injustice, when we think about social injustice, right, we need to basically create structures uh, that address these issues. Uh, and that's where the mini market comes in. So from my perspective, you know, uh, while we talked earlier about like, you know, four, you know, a 3.8 trillion market, and then you can sort of boil that down to what qualifies from our perspective as impact as being one to 1.2 trillion. I think as time goes on and uh, municipalities, uh, states, localities uh, realize the essentiality of mitigation and resilience and social justice, that the things that they'll be issuing in the public markets, the bonds that they'll be issuing in public markets, will be going directly to address these issues. And so I actually believe our supply will increase over time. And is there a way that investors can know that, in fact, the bond that they've um, um, subscribed to is, in fact, delivering that impact? I mean, is there a way that there's a a greenwashing or a impact washing problem that will emerge as 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 the issuers you know claim things but maybe don't deliver it. Certainly a risk. Um, you know, greenwashing is 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 a term we often use here, and it's unfortunate. But you know, not everything is is green. And by the way, even if it is green, and 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 like everyone, a lot of people will talk to me and ask me about green bonds and what I think about green bonds. I personally don't think, care if it's a green bond. You can call it chartreuse. You can call it violet. It it doesn't really matter to me. What matters to me is that the issuer is willing to provide the environmental data that suggests that this project is a positive uh, to the community. And is that the same in the muni bond market? Disclosure is an issue, right? I mean, there aren't a lot of there are some who are really great at it and want to engage and want to partner with you, and, and obviously those are the issuers that we sort of gravitate towards. And then there are others who aren't really uh, too willing uh, to discuss these issues, and that makes our investment decision pretty easy, right? We just we just won't invest. Well, this is a good intro, and thank you for the education. I mean, we've got what you, sounds like a large market of low-cost capital for socially positive projects in historically disadvantaged neighborhoods at market rate and perhaps even above market rate or lower lower risk than is generally perceived so that makes for a good that makes for a good impact investing story thank you i hope so i think so thank you eric glass (laughs) thank you that's going to do it for this episode of returns on investment Thanks to Alliance Bernstein's Eric Glass and Impact Alpha's David Bank for that great conversation. And special thanks, as always, to our technical producer, Isaac Silk. From New York, I'm Brian Walsh. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in some sense of the word next time.